Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Phil, I'm really excited about today's show. Why don't you share a little bit about what we have in store? Yeah, today we uh, we have another great interview, um, and it's with Dwight Taylor Sr. Some of you may know him as Transparent. He's a hip-hop artist, and he's also a speaker. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about him later as we introduce that. Uh, we have a great um, mailbag question as well. Um, as a Thoughts from the Field later on in the show with Bruce Kendrick, and he's with Embrace Texas. You don't want to miss that. Um, we also have a, a book recommendation in the Phil and Kelly Recommend section. But uh, right now, definitely want to get right into this mailbag question. Kelly, what, what do we got on that? Well, this is a question that you and I have heard a lot recently, not necessarily from just one particular person, but just from conversations that we've had. And it deals with the racial tensions in America that we are currently facing. And, and, and just a question that most people have is, in light of the tension, how can we open up dialogue and conversation when it's so emotionally charged? And I guess I'll take a crack at it since I am a part of a um, transracial family. And raising a young black man in today's society is is difficult um, just in light of what they they can face. And so as a mom, I come at this of I want to open up dialogue. I want to I want to learn. I want to know how to best bring about healing and be be part of the solution and not part of just perpetuating old stereotypes or perpetuating um, false assumptions of people and and just coming at it from a place of I, I want to be aware of the realities i want to be a bridge to um to to help find solutions and to open up conversation but i think for me part of that is we have to enter into first you have to kind of you have to enter into those conversations and if you are not around someone that doesn't look like you if you're not around if you're not in even in relationship with people who look different from you, then then you're not a part of the solution. And so, you know, as a as a, as a mom, as an adoptive family, um, those are things that we're trying to be more intentional about. Um, is surrounding ourselves not just with families that even necessarily look like ours only, but also beginning to seek out relationships where I can just come at it and say, I, I want to learn. Um, I'm sorry. How can I help? And and come at it from that posture. What about you, Phil? Yeah, it's it's interesting because this is this really relates a lot with the question that we we talked about last week. Um, it's really how can we engage people that are that are different from us, right? Um, and to not say, oh, we're colorblind, because the fact is we, we see color and it's not a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be something that, that we're different. And it's not it's not like we are different in in the fact that God has created us, um, because in that sense, we're the same. We are we are God's creation. We are all created as human beings, as image bearers. But we have different cultures. We have different uh, experiences. We have different as I do with you. We have different experiences. And so to get to know you, I can't just assume, oh, you're a a white female, therefore X, Y, Z. In the same way, I can't just assume anything about anybody and we need to get to know each other. And how can we do that? It it just depends on the particular relationship. And I think that there is a way that we can learn more and more about a particular culture by reading um, books in that, that we can learn from, watching movies, listening to um, different things that come from that culture, whether it's podcasts, whether it's music, whether it's you know whatever. There's different ways we can learn, but at the end of the day, the only way you're going to be able to really learn about somebody is to get to know them. Like you said, spend time with them. One of my best friends in the world and one of my mentors, uh, Scott Rowley, he's in Nashville and um, amazing man. He adopted a couple uh, children. One's a mixed race boy and one's a black boy. And uh, they're now men. Um, but when he did, he realized that he didn't really know um, what that culture is like to the extent that he needed to to really raise these boys to be the men they needed to be. And so he actually moved into a, um, a neighborhood called Hard Bargain in Franklin, Tennessee. And it really is on the other side of the tracks, literally. And he moved into this neighborhood to learn more and to really be a part of that neighborhood. So probably for him himself to be able to learn, but also for his children to be able to learn more about the culture. 
Um, and those are, those are things that have, have shaped me to, to really seek, okay, how can I truly understand? Because as a white male, there are certain experiences that I've never had, nor will I ever have. Um, and you know, I've had a lot of different, uh, you know, friends from different cultures, from different countries, from different experiences and backgrounds. And I can tell you that every one of those people is different. Um, same way my neighbor is different from me. And so I'm trying to really open my eyes to understand that I don't know, I don't understand. And the only way I can understand is to really dive into that, um, relationship as much as possible to understand from them who they are and how we can learn from each other really because I think what happens so often in our society is we we take offense to things and we get defensive and so somebody says oh well you're just coming from a place of white privilege or you have white guilt or you are you know have implicit racial bias or there's all these labels and I think that does it kind of puts people into an automatically defensive posture on especially when you add social media the mix and media who wants that 24-hour news cycle that has to have a story um, and so when, you know, a guy takes a knee in a football game, it becomes a massive, massive thing. And, you know, that is something that is indicative of a whole lot more than taking a knee during a national anthem, obviously. And as we've seen, I think that it can take on a life of its own if we don't kind of dive into those individual one-on-one relationships. If we see it at just from the forest view and don't get into the trees of those relationships, I think we, we run the risk of really putting people into boxes and groups and putting issues into those same things and trying to simplify them so we can have a neat solution to them when really the messiness of relationship is what it's going to come down to. I agree. I think, you know, I think a lot of people see all the, the news and, and form opinions, but I know for me, this did not hit home and make me want to be a part of the conversation until we brought Judson home, until we were able to walk in some situations where we were um, the, I don't even say victims, but we were um, treated differently because of him and because Mm -hmm. of the color of his skin. And I mean, really strong issues, really strong situations where people did not want to be a part of a school that we were a part of because of Judson. Mm. And, you know, that is mind boggling to me. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm looking at this precious little face, when I'm looking at this amazing little boy and thinking that you don't want to get to know him, it obviously, it was more than just mama bear coming out. It was just an eye opening experience of in my, in my upbringing or in the neighborhoods I had lived in, this was not really an issue because it all looked the same. And so it really causes, I think you have to decide I'm going to be a part of this conversation, not just because it affects me, but because I'm choosing to walk into this because I want to, I want our country to look different. I want it to respond differently. And I truly don't want to see people judge because of the color of their skin and treated differently. So I know it's, it's, it's complex, it's hard, but I think we can still say, I'm going to choose to walk in the hardness. I'm going to choose to maybe offend you, but I, I'm still going to show up to the conversation and learn. Right now. And I think that that's something that's critical is that part of it's that we just talk, right? That we actually do have the conversation. Because I think we often want to just yell at each other and um, because it is so emotionally charged in a lot of ways. And it's really hard, again, for me, who's someone who hasn't experienced it, um, to understand. But I do have, you know, different people like yourself, other friends of mine. You know, I live in a very diverse um, city, but it's diverse in a very affluent area. <laughs> so it's, it's different diverse. And so you can fool yourself um, into thinking, oh, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, whether it's black, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's, you know, Middle Eastern, whatever it may be. Um, But in fact, that's not, you know, it it may not be really fully understanding that the discrimination against those people because they're in in a city that may not have it as much. But that being said, I have, you know, one of my old pastors is a, is a black man and he lived in Folsom and he would tell me, he goes, Phil, you just don't understand when I drive around the city, I get looked at by the cops immediately. If I'm walking down the street in a, in a hooded sweatshirt or a hoodie, as we have come to know it as, um, I get looked at and I have people, you know, walking to the other side of the street 
and this is in, you know, a suburb when they, it really is a very low crime area. And so, you know, it's something to really open our eyes to and understand that these, there are real issues. There are real things like you talked about that I'll never experience with my children. Um, that, you know, to truly understand, uh, where someone's coming from, we need to understand those things. So, um, yeah. And I, and I think today we're hearing from, um, Dwight Taylor and, and I'm excited to get into this interview. He's, uh, like I said, he's a, a transparent is, is his uh, name as a hip hop artist, but Dwight is a, as a dad, um, he's a husband, he's a man who was raised, um, by his grandparents, as you'll hear. Uh, he talks a lot about what it means to be a man, what, it, you know, authentic manhood and the need of every little boy and girl to have a, to have a man in their life who loves them and is a daddy to them. And I, I really appreciate this man's heart. Um, and a lot of stuff that you're going to be able to learn from him. I get excited. Um, as with most our guests who, who come, I say this almost every show, it seems like, um, I can't wait for you to learn from this person. And it's because I've learned so much from these people. Uh, so get out your notepad. I know that you're going to want to take some notes on this. If you have any questions, if something we said here and we missed something, which I'm sure we did, I'm sure we do every episode, but if it's something that really is nagging at you or bothering you, um, or if it's something that you want to encourage us with, please, please, uh, send us an email or drop us a comment on Facebook. But with, um, with Dwight today, it's something that I think he will definitely connect with you on different, on several different levels, but I'd uh, love to hear your feedback on it. So why don't we get to the great, uh, wisdom of Dwight Taylor. Hey Dwight, it's great to have you here on the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks for having me, my man. I'm excited about the podcast. I'm excited about being on here. I've been listening to a couple podcasts already, so I'm excited, man. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, uh, as we get started here, I just, I'd love for you to share your story and kind of how you got to be where you are today. Um, you're you're now speaking with uh, with a lot of youth, a lot of to really just dive into their their lives. You're a hip hop artist. You're mentoring men. Um, and what it means to be true and authentic manhood. And I just wondering how you got to be doing all of those things. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, the, the short of the very long and interesting story is uh, I'm from Richmond, California. Uh, my mother was 17, my father was 19 when they had me. And unfortunately, uh, not, too, not too long after they had me, they fumbled and, um, and really focused their attention on the street life and any and everything that comes along with the street life. Uh, and so that was their main focus and main priority. But fortunately for me, I had grandparents. Uh, I had three grandparents, two grandmothers and a grandfather who who recovered the fumble and recovered me and, and picked me up and made sure that I wouldn't go down the same path as my parents were going at that time, as well as you know, would instill values in me to help me become the very best me that I was created to be. So I'm truly grateful for my grandparents uh, for being there and, and taking care of me. And so they really are the reason for why I do everything that I do, because not only did they instill great values in me, but when I was young, they used to take me to church all the time, you know, and, and at church, I learned phenomenal values. I've, I've learned great principles. Um, I learned about God who maybe I didn't have a relationship with the Lord back then, but I knew definitely right from wrong. I knew what I should be doing. And, and I attribute all that to my grandparents. And so, uh, throughout my, you know, throughout my life from elementary to high school, even up to college, I, I knew what was right, but I wouldn't always select what was right, if that makes sense. And so, um, so, you know, I bump my head a lot and a lot of that even pushes me now to today to make sure that I give young people wisdom, young people encouragement, young people uh, just words of wisdom that will help them not make the same mistakes that I've made. And so all the way up until July 6, 2005, I was really just living my own life. Uh, it was two different people. One person at night, I was doing my own reckless and crazy thing in the daytime. I was working at the YMCA and helping kids become the very best them. So it was really like me going back and forth between uh, the good and the bad side, if it, so to say. And um, on July 6, 2005, God captured my heart. And ever since then, I've really just been doing my best uh, to live a life that is pleasing to him. Am I perfect? Not not at all. You know, but um, every single day I'm striving 
um, in an excellent manner to to make him smile as much as possible. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you talk about your grandparents effectively raising you, but you yeah. know, in that is implicit that, you know, as you, you stated, you didn't have a mommy and a daddy growing yeah. up. Yeah. And how did that shape you? And how has that shaped really your life today? Yeah. Well, you know, as a, as a young person, not having my mother and my father around, even though I had my grandparents who instilled the values in me that they did, it's one thing to have what you need but still have your vision blurry because the things that you want are not right in front of you mm-hmm. or coming to pass. And so although my grandparents were giving me great information, great knowledge, great wisdom, great values, they were giving me God, mm-hmm. um, I wanted my parents. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, my, my vision was very blurry. It wasn't easy for me to digest the great things that my grandparents were attempting to instill inside of me. And so uh, when I was young, man, I, I dealt with a lot of confusion, you know, trying to figure out why don't my parents want me and they put me here on this earth trying to figure that out I dealt with a lot of uh just a lot of times being ashamed man you know I was very I was very ashamed uh because I would go to school with kids who had both of their parents around not their grandparents but both of their parents Mm -hmm. around and it would come to you know back to school night or teacher parent conferences and every single teacher parent conference that I can remember from the time I was in kindergarten I lied I used to lie all the time. I became a uh, uh, pathological liar based on the fact that I was ashamed. I didn't want people to know that my parents weren't around and they were doing X, Y, and Z. And so I would make stuff up and say, oh, they're on a business trip or, oh, mm. they, they have work tonight. Or, and so at a young age, five, six years old, I'm learning how to lie. And it, and it started becoming just my way of life. So not just being confused, not just being ashamed, but picked up a terrible habit that, you know, I've been working hard to to break that and then also working hard to help my kids not have to go down that route either. And so, you know, it was, it was a struggle, man. Um, what I do, what I do know is that I never stopped loving my parents, you know, even though they, they were in and out of my life, I love them unconditionally. And for some people, it's very hard for them to understand that, but I think God just made me different. And for whatever reason, the love that I have for them, is the same love that I have when I'm when I'm working with young people as well. You know, I just want to see the best in them. And even as a young kid, I, I remember my grandmother used to have me pray for my parents at eight, nine years old and not even really knowing what prayer was going to do at that time. Right. Just because I'm doing what she, what she told me to do. I look back on my life and see that, um, you know, even my mom told me, she said, I know that your prayers help change my life around, you know, because along with the story of them not being around, um, they both start coming back into my life around the age of 17 and 19 and, and have been uh, strong fixtures in my life since then, so. Yeah, and, and, and you, I know in our conversations and just uh, hearing you speak a couple times, uh, it's clear that you having a child yourself, and you mentioned that you have a couple kids. Yeah, um, yeah. How did that cause you to change your thinking about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father? Definitely. Um, you know, I had my oldest son, Dwight Jr., when I was a sophomore in college. And up until that time, I was extremely, extremely selfish, probably the most selfish person that, that anybody had ever met. Um, but up until him being born, I really didn't care about anybody but myself. You know, I, I loved people and I could say that, but when it came to expressing actions, it was all about me. And um, and a lot of that was because, you know, I wasn't affirmed by the people that I wanted to be affirmed by. My, my mother and father weren't there to, to say, good job, you're doing great, I'm proud of you, and all those things. So I just started doing that internally and, and really covering up my insecurities and, and just becoming not even confident, but just extremely cocky, extremely arrogant um, to cover up those things. But when I had my son, things all started to, be, to come into perspective where it was like, okay, this is another life that... It's only depending, you know, it's solely dependent on me to to do what I need to do and to take care of my responsibilities. And so in that moment, um, I knew that I had to do a better job than my parents did, but especially I had to do a better job than my father did with me because even at a young age of 20, 21 years old, I knew I did not want my son's narrative to be what mine was already at that point. And so he pushed me to become more responsible. Um, I won't say that as I look back on my life, I won't say that, oh man, I know that for a fact that when I had my son, I was a man, but I knew, what I do know is that 
I was showing and representing characteristics of what now I consider a real man to be. And so uh, my son really opened my eyes. And how did you uh, go about, you know, learning really, as you said, and I want you to talk three, about the three hoods that you talk about every, in every man's yeah. life, that every man needs in his life. And, you know, how did you go about learning that? Where did that come from? Was that from your grandparents? Was that from other things that you, you sought out? How did you, how did you learn that? Because, as you said, it didn't come from your father. Yeah, uh, my grandfather is my hero. And so, with, with that being said, my grandfather modeled what real manhood looked like. And it, it just, it, it kind of sucks for me that I didn't digest that and I, I didn't receive that then. But you know, it's easy to connect the dots when you look backwards. Mm -hmm. um, and so as I looked back on my life, by the time I got 21, 22, I'm looking and going, wow, my grandfather was doing this. He was he, he was providing for us. He was protecting. He was accepting responsibility. He was leading us courageously. He was he was doing all these great things. And and when it, the light bulb came on, I came on, I said, you know what? If I want to even be half of what my grandfather was, I need to start implementing these things that I got to see and witness all throughout my life. And my grandfather gave his perfect effort to be the greatest husband he could be to my grandmother, be the greatest father he could be to uh, his four kids, and even be the greatest grandfather that he can be uh, to me and other people in our community. And so I watched my grandfather do those things. And so uh, to touch on what you talked about in regards to the, the three most important hoods, um, I really truly believe that the three most important hoods in a male's life is not the hood that they came from, right? Not the city, not the block, not the street, but the most important hoods in a man's life is brotherhood, fatherhood, and manhood. Mm. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, brotherhood is something that can kind of start early because you can, you can start forming a brotherhood with those that you go to school with, with those that you play a sports team with, uh, and, and those in your community, the guys that you hang out with. So I think that that kind of bond can, and relationship can kind of start real early, but I, I truly believe that it is very hard to be a great father if, if you don't even know what it is to be a man. Hmm. Like that's, that's very difficult because our role as fathers is to pass on the wisdom, the knowledge to our to our children and so if we can't even pass on to if I can't pass on to my son what it is to be a man then I'm not living up to my duties as being a father if I can't pass on to my daughter what it is to be a man so that one day when a knucklehead comes her way and, and is trying to date her or trying to talk to her she now has a, a picture of no that's not what a real man does I know what a real man is because my father has showed me that and mm -hmm. so um, I truly believe that you know one of the main reasons why I do what I do is in, in which is empowering males to become real men is because I know most men desire to be a father and and let's get the manhood stuff right first and then step into that next big role so given that the fact that this is the this is the think orphan podcast and, and yes, knowing that a lot of the kids that you're working with are fatherless yes how can we come into that fray how can we um, as men come into the messiness of a kid who doesn't have a father and speak truth, you know, assuming that they'd also don't have a grandfather like you did or don't have somebody else in their life who is speaking that truth. How can we come into that and speak into the brokenness of a young man or a young woman's life and speak that truth into the, into their life, into their mind, into their heart? Um, I really just think it's about being selfless. You know, uh, we can we can be very focused as males um, on ourselves. We can be very focused even on our family, which is not a wrong thing. But I just think that if we know that there's a there's an epidemic of fatherlessness going around, then I truly believe it's our responsibility to do something to to be active, be productive in a male's life who doesn't have a father. And that doesn't take a whole lot. That can just take simply listening. Right. You don't have to say much um, in, in, in my work with young people and young males. I've learned that. It's not about us talking. It's not even about what we're saying. It's about us listening and then responding to that in a way that we can help. And so I'm, I'm big on listening to, to what our young males are saying. I'm big on saying hello, speaking to them, showing them by example what it looks like. And so for me, one of the things that, that I recently did was I started coaching my, my oldest son's basketball team last year. Mm -hmm. And the majority of the males, the young males that I had on my team came from single parent households where the father was not there, like literally gone. Right. And, and so 
um, I knew that by me coaching basketball, which was like the icing on the cake, I knew that I can empower, motivate, inspire these young males to become real men by showing them what it looks like, by giving them words of wisdom, by challenging them, by even disciplining them because I had their ear and their heart so they would receive the stuff that I was saying. And so it's about spending time. And like I said, from the jump, it's about being selfless. Um, I could have just been there to coach just to win games, but I was, I was trying to win hearts for the Lord through me coaching basketball. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and one of the things I know you've also said, in, and I heard you say it in, in the talk uh, a few months ago that when, when we met, um, yeah. was that purpose produces passion. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that that's what you're teaching into these, into these kids. And, and just explain what you mean by that and how you can spread that message um, to those that you're speaking with. Definitely. Um, up, until the, up until I was 23, I, I like to share with people that I really felt like I was a zombie. I was walking around in life um, just going as the wind blew. I didn't have any, I didn't really have any purpose. It was really about me and trying to figure things out. But once, once I found my purpose, um, I truly started having a passion ignite in me to wake up every single morning and live out that purpose. And for me, my purpose was, was very simple. It was to help people be better than they ever thought I, than they ever thought that they could be. And I think one of the reasons why that was mine is because I truly wanted somebody to do that for me. You know, my grandparents did a phenomenal, amazing, I put words together, phenomenal, amazing job. But I wished at the time that, you know, I had other mentors or other big brothers or even my mother and father who would help me um, just be the best me that I can be. And so now with the platform that I have now, with the voice that I have now, with the amount of influence that I have, my, my goal is to help people not only find um, what it is that they want to do and, and, and their why and what they want to become, but actually live in their purpose um, and live out their purpose while living in their passions as well. So, you know, I truly believe every single day I wake up and get an opportunity to go speak life into people, especially students, um, especially broken students, especially students from at-risk environments. I get the opportunity to do that and I'm fired up about it mm. due to the fact that it's strongly connected to my why. Yeah. It's solely connected to my purpose for being on this earth. If I'm not encouraging somebody, at least one person a day, I'm feeling like I didn't live up to what I was supposed to be doing for that day. And I'm not about wasting time. Right. I, I understand that what I do today affects tomorrow. Yeah. Right? And so the lives that I impact today Hopefully, those lives will impact somebody else tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So, and what have you seen from the the basketball team? And what have you seen from some of the you know, if you've had any follow up with some yeah. of these speaking engagements that you've been able to have, um, how are these kids responding to the message? Yeah, um, this year was was amazing for me as as a basketball coach. I've been coaching basketball for years, but this year was amazing because this is the year that I I became intentional, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things I've been talking to my my two boys and my my brother about is we have a choice. We either be intentional or be uh, irresponsible. It's one of the two. Like if you're not being intentional about what you're doing and, and and how you're doing it, then you're being irresponsible. And so I was very intentional about my reasoning for coaching basketball and I wanted to empower males to become real men but also help them win some games as well and right. so and so in doing that what I what I noticed was that because of what we're doing in practice because of the the principles that I'm giving them in practice not only are we winning games which they the the, the boys really wanted to do but they're doing better in school. They're doing better socially. They're developing themselves. They're becoming more self-aware. And, and they're really learning about, okay, what, it, what are my values? Um, why do I do what I do? And, and, when, and when they start thinking about their values, they start understanding that their values were specifically um, in correlation to every single action that they do. Mm. Right? And so I'm teaching them how to lead courageously. I'm, I'm teaching them how to be leaders and not followers. And so those things start playing out more than the basketball, you know, court. I'm, I'm getting principal, the principal and assistant principal coming to me almost every other day. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing in practice, but whatever it is, keep doing it because it's changing the culture of our campus. And so that's one of the dope things that I got out of basketball. But another thing out of basketball was I walked out of practice one day and a mother came to me and was like, hey, I need to talk to you. And she had a, a very serious look on her face so I'm thinking what did I do wrong <laughs> right I'm thinking did I did I yell at the kid or did I? and 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 I walk over to her car and she says 
I just want to thank you so much for what you are imparting into my son because it goes beyond basketball. You are helping him become a young man. You know his father's not around. You know his his uncles are locked up. You know all these things. So I'm grateful that he has you in his life to teach him how to be a real man. I love the basketball, but I love this part even more. So when I get stories like that, when mm. I'm the principal, and then when I'm seeing, though, like for me, when I'm seeing my boys actually living out these things that are helping them become the very best them that they were created to be, that's a win for me. Right. That, that reminds me that I'm doing what it is that I was created to do. And that's just basketball-wise. When I travel and, and speak, uh, if it's at juvenile halls, if it's at Salinas Valley State Prison, if it's overseas in Australia, wherever I go, um, I try to be the most authentic me I can. And, you know, these are the results that I usually see when I'm when I'm dealing with or interacting with males, um, people in general, but, but mostly the young males that come across my path. Yeah, and on that note, I know that you're, you also have a little girl. And yes. I think, you know, we talked a lot about the impact that men can have on young men. Yeah. But there's also something that every little girl needs, you know, yeah. and that's a daddy's love. Yes. And I know that you had a, a monkey bar story that you shared uh -huh. that's just a great picture of that. But yeah. can you speak to that a little bit, too, from what you've seen and what you know um, from the standpoint of being a dad, but also seeing the other side of it when the girls don't have a dad? Yeah. Um, so I'll speak from the side of where the girls don't have a dad and, and I'm gonna be transparent. Um, I was the guy who before I found my purpose took advantage of the girls mm. that did not have fathers. Mm. Um, I, I was very savvy with my words as a young kid. Um, I knew how to manipulate as a young kid. I knew how to lie since kindergarten mm. and do very well and get people to believe what I wanted them to believe. And so. It did, I'm a great listener as well, so it didn't take me long to introduce myself to a young lady, listen, find out what it is that, that she liked, what she didn't like, what she needed, what she didn't need, and find a way to put myself in a position to be empowered. Hmm. Okay, so, so with that, the majority of these young ladies that I would talk to and that I would manipulate or, or, or get over on, the majority of them didn't have any father figure, any male figure in their life, speaking life to them, just saying that they were beautiful. There were so many girls that that you know I think about that were drawn to me just because I told them how pretty they were. Mm. Nothing else, like mm -hmm. on surface, nothing, no depth. Just you look pretty today, and it was all right. Hey, whatever you want, right? Mm. But 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 with that, as a father now, I learned that I need to make sure that I'm always affirming my daughter. Yeah. I need to always make sure that I'm telling my daughter how amazing she is, how beautiful she is, how special she is, how, how much God is pleased with who she is because he is her creation. Like, I need to tell her that so when the the, the younger me comes up to her, <laughs> she, she won't be wooed by that. She won't be yeah. wooed by that because she knows what the truth is. And so, um, you know, I get an opportunity to, when I go to these juvenile halls, most of the time, I get an opportunity to speak directly to the young ladies. I was actually invited to a uh, to be the keynote speaker of a all female conference, young girls conference earlier this year. And it was my first time being invited to keynote at something like this. And it was powerful because these girls had never heard positive, life changing words come from a male in their life. Mm. Like and it be authentic. Mm -hmm. Right. And they've heard everything to, to get them to do what they wanted to do, but they've never heard it come from a fatherly standpoint. And so it was just it was just super impactful on that end. Um, when it comes to the monkey bar story is is really one of my favorite stories um, is simply my daughter was learning how to go across the monkey bars. Yeah. And, and one day we literally spent about 40 minutes <laughs> trying to go across these monkey bars and she would get to the first bar, she'd get to the second bar and then she'd get to the third one and fall. And then she'll get back on it and keep going and fall. And so for 45 minutes, like we were literally trying and my daughter is a person who does not give up. She's super competitive. She gets it from me, but she didn't want to give up. It was getting cold outside. And I'm like, okay, baby girl, let's try this another day. And every time I kept saying that, she's like, okay, one more time. Mm -hmm. and, and what I learned in that moment is that if I support the great things that she's trying to do, even if she doesn't get it, what I learned is that she was building confidence. We were building confidence. She needed me to, to be there and say, you can do it. I believe you. I'm telling her every single time, come on, try it again. I know you can do it. And even if she couldn't do it, she was reminded that her dad believes in her enough yep. that she's going to try it again. So the, the, um, 
you know, I think it was the next day or the day after that, I'm I'm speaking somewhere and my wife sends me a video of my daughter going across the monkey bars and I am blown away because for 45 minutes she was not baby. <laughs> but all of a sudden I'm looking at this video and she's going across the monkey bars. But the, the thing that blew my mind was she she right when she was going to the second monkey bar where she usually fell the day before, when she was going, she said these key words. I know I can do it. Hmm. My dad wasn't there physically, mm-hmm. but I had been there. I was present with her the day before and I gave her those those encouraging words that she internalized and started speaking for herself and encouraged herself with my very words and said, I know I can do it. Yeah. And she went across, completed the monkey bars. When she got down, the very words that she said right after she got down and she, she asked my wife, she said, did you videotape it? And she mm-hmm. said, yeah, she goes, show it to daddy. Mm. You know, and so, so that's a big deal for me because yeah. my daughter, even though it's a monkey bar story, it's a confidence building yeah. story. It's a story that says I can accomplish whatever it is I want to, not and not just because I know I can, but because my parents believe in me. My dad believed in me enough to go across these monkey bars. I'm gonna be able to read because mm-hmm. my dad believed in me. I'm gonna be able to excel and go to the next level. I'm gonna be able to be the very best me that I can be because of the confidence that was put in me solely off going across the monkey bars. Yep. No, absolutely. And and I can tell you, I have an 11 year old girl and a 14 year old girl and. Both of them actually yesterday, um, examples, one in gymnastics, one in soccer, and both of them, they were, they were saying, hey, daddy, you got to come watch. <laughs> and maybe not those exact words, but similar. And then af- after practice, my oldest daughter, sophomore in high school, says, did I look good out there? That's what's up. And, you know, and it's just, they're, they're so seeking that affirmation from their daddy. Yeah. And so yeah. how can we, again, get, in, speak, get into the fray and speak truth into those girls who don't have that? And it's so important that we can't forget it because, as you said, there's your younger yous out there, yeah, and there's yeah. younger me's out there, yeah. And you know, and even if you don't take advantage, it's it's that you're not respecting them, yeah, exactly. Like they need to be respected, and that's the truth. We can speak to the young men as well that these yeah. women are to be respected and to be loved really well, yeah. Um, yeah. in and, healthy and, ways. And let me speak on that real quick. The uh, the thing that really started changing my perspective was. When I had my daughter, uh, she just turned six years old, but when I had her, like, I think a light bulb went on to remind me that, wait a minute, these girls that I wasn't respecting, they're somebody's daughter, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and, and I start thinking like, what if somebody did these same things that I was doing to my daughter? I, <laughs> I, I'm telling you right now, my man, you would have to come bail me out of prison because <laughs> I would lose my mind. Yeah. And and so, and when, when that happened, it was like, mm. Okay, I need to start paying it forward yeah. and making sure that I'm speaking life into these young ladies. So, yeah. Now that's fantastic, and and I know that you know you you're as a as a hip hop artist out there, you've been able to use your platform, as you said, yeah. to be able to do this work. And I know two things that you've done. Um, are the Real Manhood Conference yes, uh, here in the Sacramento area. Yeah. And you also started something online in, uh, called Manhood Awareness Month. Yes, yeah. And uh, can you just speak to both of those uh, real quick and then show people how they can get more info on those two things? Definitely. So the Real Manhood 101 Conference is a conference that um, I had been thinking about for a long time. And finally, God was just like, it's time. Like, stop sitting on it and go ahead and do it. So this past June 4th, we put it on at Sac State University. And it was for... Uh, males middle school all the way to adult males and we i even invited mothers as well mm. who were pretty much doing this thing on their own with their males and and it, it was amazing the the impact was amazing the turnout was amazing and it was really just an opportunity to make these males aware of some key concepts that they can implement to help them be better than they were before they found out about these concepts and so uh you know the, the real is an acronym for uh, the R is rejects passivity, the E is expects the greater reward, the A is accepts responsibility, and the L is leads courageously. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer that because I've, I've seen it happen in my life, I've seen it happen in, in all the other males that I've pretty much shared this with, um, I've seen life-changing things start to happen just by becoming aware. Mm-hmm. Not that we're going to get it right every single time, but just having a, an awareness of, oh man, you know, am I accepting my responsibilities today? Am I taking the garbage out? Am I doing my homework? Am I, am I being respectful to my parents? Am I, am I being respectful to authority figures? Like just those things and knowing that, hey, this is something that can help me be the best male turned into man that I can be. Um, it, it was just life changing for every single person there. And I got to do a workshop with the mothers, which was humongous. It was so impactful. I mean, 
the, the, the women in there were, were grateful, but they not only were they emotional um, when it came to their, their sons who they truly care about, but they start growing a, a bond between the mothers that were in there. Most of them never had met each other, but they all found out that they all have these things in common when it comes to trying to raise young males on their own and turn them into great men. And so, uh, it was huge. We're actually getting ready to start talking about the next one. We're, we're making it an annual thing. So for next June, it's going to happen every June. Um, and the reason it's happening in every June is because of the initiative of Manhood Awareness Month that uh, I'm, I pioneered this past year. And Manhood Awareness Month is taking place every June. We started it this year. And it's simple to highlight the importance and need of real manhood in today's society. And again, they're real. Yeah. It's the acronym. And so we're just talking about authentic manhood and what that looks like. And again, it's about awareness. I can't I can't reach every single person and and mentor and monitor every person. But what I can do is at least make people aware of what's out there. And if you decide to implement one of these four, all of these four, three of these four, my hope is that you will start seeing uh, life transformation happen and want to continue it throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that uh, I was impacted. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to contribute as much as I wanted to and be a part of as much as I wanted to this year. But our uh, good friend Eric Frazier posted yeah. something on uh, yeah. on Facebook just about his, you know, his take on what real manhood is. And I know that that really just it struck me and it, it, it meant a ton to yeah. hear his heart. And so to see that and to see how men can impact other men using the technology, using the platform of social media is uh, it's pretty phenomenal to see what we can do today to use that for good what so yes. often isn't used yeah. for good yeah. um, and uh, so can you real quick I know we don't have time to go into all the four pillars but rejecting passivity the, the R and I, and I encourage everyone to go back and just really listen to the four pillars and think yeah. about them but can you just say well, you know just tell us a little bit why that's so important definitely um, so so when we talk about rejecting passivity it's really just saying be intentional be aggressive about not just doing what's right because it's right but also making healthy decisions like us as men innately we are aggressive most of us if somebody bumps at us looks at us we're gonna even though we might not react we're gonna feel some type of way about it because most of us are extremely aggressive sometimes we're aggressive about the wrong things something negative will happen and we'll get super aggressive over it and want to take our frustration and anger out on it but what we're, we're talking about rejecting passivity is not being passive not letting things just happen just just to happen but being aggressive and intentional about making healthy life decisions every single moment you can like I would say every single day, but sometimes the day is too much for people. I'm saying hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second, moment by moment, being intentional about making healthy decisions. As simple as you see something on the ground, even though you didn't put it there and you know it goes in the garbage, just be aggressive and intentional about picking it up and throwing it away right. because that's discipline that you're learning to do what's right because it's right. Also do what's right because God is saying that it's right as well as making healthy decisions that once you start doing those over time, they become habits and the habits turn into character and the character actually leads you to your destiny. And so I encourage every single listener, um, male or female, to to start rejecting passivity. Think about some things that you've just been passively doing or passively letting happen. I go and talk to schools about bullying and, and, and students. I'm like, if you see that happen, don't put up your phone and start videotaping. Actively do something, even if it's not you who starts the fight, but reject being passive and just standing back like everybody else. Go get a teacher, go do something to help, like be a help instead of a hindrance. And so that's really what it's about. If, if us as males would start rejecting passivity when it comes to our responsibilities and becoming who it is we're created to be, this world would definitely look like a different place. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's so encouraging. Um, where can people? Can, is it was there was a hashtag Manhood Awareness Month? Is that right? Yeah. 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 So if you yeah. if you out there want to check it out, I encourage you to go just see some of the posts that were done. It's yeah. It, I know it definitely encouraged me a ton. Just a little bit that I was able to engage it, and I hope to do more so next year because um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to every man out there to truly think about what this does mean. And it's not just, like you said, not just to be passive about it, not just to say, right. oh, I know. Right. I know I'm supposed to open the door for a woman. I know I'm supposed to do whatever. No, it's to intentionally take some time to say, what, what does it really mean to be a man? Yeah, yeah. And do I know? You know, and that's yeah. a, it's a great questions to be asking us, reg asking ourselves regularly and asking each other regularly. And so thanks for doing that. Um, it's totally, like I said, it, it, it has encouraged me greatly. Um, yeah. A couple more questions for you, um, yes, sir. and we, we ask all of our guests these questions, as you know, since you've listened to a few of them, but uh, yeah. 
What have, what have you read or listened to in the past few months that has most impacted your thinking on the work that you're doing with vulnerable children um, out there? Um, what I've listened to is my grandfather's voice. Mm. Uh, we've had a couple in-depth conversations over the last couple months um, and really just about legacy, right? That's what he's been talking to me about and, and reminding me and encouraging me that I have a duty to fulfill um, with all of my siblings that are younger than me, my kids that are younger than me, my family. And so um, my grandfather being my mentor, being my hero, I really listen and take his advice. And he's just been saying to me, he says, look at my life and, and see some of the things that I've done. Not the things that I've said, but look at some of the things I've done. My grandfather not only took me in, he took other cousins in. He took he took people in who would steal from him, would would you know uh, stab him in the back if they could. My grandfather was just that type of person who was always trying to help somebody become the very best them that they can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather worked in the in San Francisco in the juvenile hall for many years as a cook. My grandfather still works today. After he's retired, he's in Atlanta, Georgia, right now, uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia, and he works in a school not because he needs to work. Not because he loves cooking, but he's there so that he can be a model, mm-hmm. not a role model, but a real model for these young males who are in these middle schools that don't have anybody else to look up to. My grandfather just turned 76 on August 12th, and he is still doing the work. Mm-hmm. He is still being who he who he was created to be. And so he's been the person that I've been listening to. And and my grandfather is, is kind of my walking Bible. Like mm-hmm. my grandfather truly lives out. Um what, what God is saying in the scriptures. And so, yeah, he, he's, been, he's been what I've been reading and watching, and, and yeah, I'd love that guy. Yeah, and so I imagine he's also the person that's most impacted your life and thinking oh, okay. on these issues. Um, <laughs> is there anybody else, it's okay if there's no one that pops in your head, but is there anybody else that has impacted your thinking on this, and, and why would that, why the, that person be that, uh, that impactful in your, in your life and thinking? Definitely. Um, I would have to say, along with my grandfather it's my two grandmothers Mm. Um, they were always about helping people they were always about making sure that they did everything that that they could possibly do to help me fulfill my destiny and my call and the call of my life and um, and as as a young male they were always knowing that I had other young male other friends when I was growing up they were always inviting them over to our house so they can get a great picture of one, what manhood looks like for my grandfather, but two, what family looks like, right? And, and and what that looks like, and then also instilling those same values. A lot of my friends, it's a joke that we talk about. A lot of my friends would be like, all right, I'm gonna spend a night Friday to Saturday, but I'm not gonna spend a night Saturday to Sunday because I know your grandparents are gonna make me go to church on Sunday, right? <laughs> and, but, but as we now, these same friends that I'm still friends with today, we talk about it all the time. Right. They're like, man, I, I know you wish that, you know, you had your parents in the house with you like we did, but we wish we had grandparents like that. We wish we had people investing in us like that and pouring into our lives and, and helping us become who it is we were supposed to be. And so uh, my grandparents are definitely uh, up there, you know, right up, my two grandmothers right along there, you know, with my grandfather. So. No doubt. Yeah, that's, 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 again, encouraging and, and to see that impact that, and I think that goes to all of us, right? To, to think how our kids may and our kids' friends may see us today yeah. will likely be very different than how I see us in 20, 30 years. Exactly. And so that's, exactly. that's very, should be encouraging to all, especially when yeah. so many of us gets eye rolls from our young children, <laughs> especially teenagers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, and I know we talked earlier about just a website. Is there a website people can go to to get more information? I'm sure that those out there listening are, are wanting more information about, you know, you and what you're speaking and, and these yeah. truths that you're talking about, maybe some of your music that they'd like to be able to pick up. So just, just a, is there a place people can go to get, get that? Definitely. If you go to DwightTaylorSenior.com, DwightTaylorSR.com, um, you can click on my all of my social media stuff. And I'm very active on social media. Uh, that's why I'm glad that you threw out that hashtag, Manhood Awareness Month. Also, if you hashtag Real Manhood 101, that's where a lot of my content is as well, because I know that this day and age, kids are not, young people are not always going to websites they're going to whatever the, the hottest hashtag right. is right now but for you know any adults that are listening feel free to go to my website again that's dwighttaylorsr.com and um feel free to email me you know dwighttaylorsenior at gmail.com if you just want to talk if you have any comments questions but this is something that i'm i'm very passionate about and this is something that i want people to remember me by and remember me of when i'm long gone that, that i had a heart for helping people um 
who other people forgot about or who other people weren't concerned with. Like that, that is my thing. Um, helping those who need help, but helping others prosper eternally and bringing hope to them on mm. a daily basis. Well, I can tell you, brother, it's very clear that you have purpose, very clear that you have passion, and it shines through in everything that you've been doing. Um, everything I've seen come out of you in the little, the short time we've known each other, I look forward to continuing the conversation soon. I look forward to deepening our relationship and friendship, and so thank you for being on the show today, and I hope everyone out there really does engage this conversation more and more in your neighborhoods and in your lives. Thank you so much, my man. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I don't take this lightly. I take this as a as a, a grand thing because who am I to be here sharing with your amazing audience? But thank you for giving me this platform. And I'm going to say this. Keep doing what you're doing because, like I said, I got a chance to check out some other things. And I'm learning. I'm, mm. I'm a forever learner. So continue to interview the people that you interview. Talk about the things. Give the insight that you have. God is giving you an awesome platform, but he's also giving you something great on the inside of you that, that I hear coming through even as we're talking right now. And I like to tell people this, man, it only takes one thing to change everything. And so I know that my perspective, even some of the stuff that you said back to me today has already got my perspective going and changed and thinking about certain mm. things that I can do um, more or more impactful. So continue to, to just be a blessing to the people that you're already blessing. Thanks much. Yes, sir. Well, once again, uh, Dwight, was, was so encouraging to me, even what he was saying there at the end, just that, you know, he's learning right alongside with us all. And so I, I was definitely um, humbled by the words that he shared to me, but also just by the words that he spoke uh, throughout his, our conversation. It was, it was, again, stuff that I was learning from. And I hope you learned as much as I did from this man who has had a past that wasn't the easiest, um, but it's something that he learned from. And is continuing to learn from and continuing to make sure that he uh, doesn't make some of the same mistakes that, that his dad did. As he said, they, they kind of fumbled his mom and dad. And I, the way he put that, it was it was interesting. But but to see that God has still provided for this man was, was super encouraging to me. And that now he is actually impacting the lives of so many in so many different ways. So, Kelly, what what uh, really stuck out to you? And what, what about uh, Dwight um, really stood out? Number one, I think just hearing a guy who likes being a dad, who, who loves being a dad and who is, who is just using the passions that he has for sharing the gospel, for, um, just having a message that is positive. I, I just love that. But I also love just that, um, just another thing that hit me was just the importance of grandparents and older generation and just having, uh, those people in our life that are, um, continuing to pour into the next generation. And, and so those are just some things I think we have to have strong men. And so hearing someone who is, who is advocating for men to, um, show up and to lead and to be daddies to their sons and daughters, I think is always encouraging to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think with the one thing that he said that, that I tried to get across and he said it in such a great way. Um, so much of the importance of being a dad, especially to a little girl, is really training them up on what boys think, right? You know, that's not something a mom can understand. Mm. Uh, what a 15-year-old boy, how a 15-year-old boy thinks. Like he said, I want to train my daughter to know how to respond to the 15-year-old me. Mm. And that was something that really stuck out to me because it's something that I talked to, um, you know, Becca, my wife, a lot about just as far as, you know, the, the different roles we have and the fact that it's important that she talks with my my daughters but also that I talk with my daughters about these important issues and you know just hearing how you know every little girl wants to show her daddy different things on the on the monkey bars that story that he shares I just absolutely love that story mm -hmm. but then also how he hasn't stopped with his own children but he says you know there's so many other kids out there who need help you know who need a man in their life and so with the basketball team and the stories that he had there and just that he has he has sought it out to not stop there even to have this conference to have this real manhood to have the different you know using social media and leveraging the, the platform he has um, he's actually in Australia you know has a, a big platform there and so he's using that and he travels and he speaks all over the place on these important issues because you know the US doesn't have the monopoly on the need for men um, it's something that is definitely everywhere as we know anybody out there and we have people listening all over the world and I think every country has a shortage of, of males being men and being the men that they need to be. So that's something that if we can just do that and we can do that in a way that really um, 
raises these men up to be who they need to be, I think we'll, we will be able to um, address so many of the issues that orphans are facing. And, and a man that is doing that as well, you know, Dwight is definitely one of them. Bruce Kendrick is another. He's the one that we have the, the privilege of hearing from and the thoughts from the field today. And he, uh, as several others did, and as you've heard on the show already, at the Orphan Summit earlier this year, he was able to share with us what he thinks is one of the biggest issues we are facing in the orphan care movement today and how we can address it. So here he goes. So my name is Bruce Kendrick. I'm the executive director of Embrace Texas, which is a nonprofit out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area that really provides a platform for churches to collaborate together on some of the issues that uh, need to be addressed but can't be done on an individual church basis. And then we provide some direct services in the, the uh, foster care and adoption space there as well. And uh, really one of the major issues that, that we continue to come across in the orphan care crisis is the, the breadth of needs that uh, we find in just about every community and the, the limited bandwidth and capacity that many leaders have. And, and so typically what we see and we're working with churches and trying to equip and empower them and, and even other nonprofits is this desire to kind of touch on one thing and then move on to the next thing, uh, sometimes the, the next best thing or the next bigger thing, rather than drill down right where they are and, and really be accountable and own um, and be responsible for the needs of children and families in their communities and um, it just kind of keep that keep that local and it's it's certainly not that we we don't understand that that we have different giftings and callings and opportunities and timing and, and resources that that God uses us to accomplish his, his will but um, we we want to see and, and hope to see uh, at least in, in addressing this issue that uh, local leaders and local businesses and local governments and officials and uh, community members and obviously churches and, and pastors, staff, lay leaders uh, would, would, would take a look at, at what's going on in their own backyard and uh, address that at a very comprehensive level across the continuum of care from prevention all the way through post-adoption and even into advocacy efforts to look at what's in the best interest of children and families um, for, for the legislation and policies that are coming out of their, their state um, departments. And um, so that's our hope, and it's one thing that, that we personally feel convicted about because it's something where we've been spread thin because we're trying to meet so many different needs and trying to equip so many others, but uh, ultimately feel we must come back to our local community and, and drill down there. Well, those are some uh, more great thoughts from a great leader on the thoughts from the field. That's a segment that I'm definitely um, enjoying more and more as we're able to, to have it. And I'm get excited to where we may be able to have some folks from all over the world just sharing little bits and pieces about what they're doing. And so that's something that uh, there's more to come there. So I, I hope that you guys are all out there enjoying it as much as I am and Kelly is. Um, today, we're going to finish up here with the, with the Phil and Kelly Recommend. Uh, segment and today I have a book that I just finished a couple days ago and it's it's uh, called Sold and it's by Patricia McCormick and it's about um, a little girl from Nepal who is uh, trafficked into India and it's really a, it's told in a first person format a first person uh, s- scenario where she is just basically like a diary on what it you know her experiences in the in being trafficked and it's it's a raw book that. Um, really shows the realities of this terrible tragedy that is, is happening more and more in our world today that we're really trying to fight against. And so many of the people that are on this show, so many of the people that we're talking with um, are fighting against this this tragic um, uh, thing that's going on in our world. So I highly recommend people out there that if you at all have any work that touches on this, which everyone I imagine listening to this show has some connection with with the trafficking that is going on. I encourage you to pick up this book to just really get a uh, more of an understanding of, of what it looks like from the mind of a little girl um, who is being abused day in and day out. And, and really the what was really interesting to me was the, the side of it where just the mental torment that, that goes on in this in these little girls minds where even if someone comes in to help, they don't know if it's truth or a lie. And so that's something that it makes it really difficult. So something I strongly recommend to everyone out there to do. Uh, pick up that book and check it out. Uh, and I just thank you again for tuning in and, and downloading this episode. 
Um, we, we value every one of you out there and we value your comments. We value your engagement in this conversation. So until next week, um, I just, uh, just hope that you are continually thinking about how you can love these orphaned and vulnerable children around the world better and better every day. Thanks a lot. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.